If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Forever. Dog. Hey, y'all. My name is Alex Berg, and welcome to the LGBTQ Nation podcast. LGBTQ Nation is the nation's leader in LGBTQ news and commentary. And this podcast is an extension of both their reporting and of their mission. Each week, we focus on major topics affecting the LGBTQ community and speak with the nation's brightest thinkers, journalists, activists, politicians, and more. In recent episodes of the show, I've been talking to guests about anti-LGBTQ bills that have been introduced at the state level and how these bills largely target transgender people. LGBTQ Nation reports that there are 31 bills across 20 states. Let me say that again, 31 bills that specifically target trans folks and are mostly geared towards attacking children. Now, many of these bills are using a specific vehicle for spreading hateful attitudes and pushing trans people out of public life. Sports. These bills seek to ban transgender girls and women from school sports, and they trade in untrue and harmful disinformation as their proponents, these anti-trans lawmakers, say they want to, quote, protect women. There are so many layers to these bills that are dangerous. These bills make arguments based on cherry-picked science about athletic performance, perpetuate ridiculous myths about transgender people, and, if passed, would ultimately create an environment that is harmful to all athletes, where anybody that doesn't fit ideals about how a woman should be, ideals imbued with racism and sexism, would be subject to scrutiny. Even more urgently, these bills are trying to use sports as the latest tool to try to erase trans people from existing and will lead to more violence and discrimination against trans people. Remember how we were all talking about bathrooms a few years ago? Well, now we're talking about the playing field and we'll unpack all of it today. Joining me for the panel are two guests who can talk about these bills from all different sides of their impact, what it means for sports and trans athletes, and the larger implications of how these bills ultimately seek to harm and push trans folks out of society. Please welcome Amara Jones, the creator and producer of Translash Media and the host of the Translash podcast, and Chris Mosier, a six-time member of Team USA who was the first known transgender man to represent the United States in international competition and the first transgender athlete to go to the Olympic trials in the gender with which they identify. Welcome! Thanks for having me. Thank you. As I mentioned, there is just so much to unpack related to this topic and related to these bills. So just to start off, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the work that you're both doing just to get our listeners more well acquainted with you both. Amara, can you start off by talking about the work that you're doing now and how it relates to what we're seeing with these bills and trans equality and liberation more broadly? Yeah, I think that, you know, essential to what is happening behind these bills is the ability to be able to demonize us and to other us. And at the core of my work is to make that less possible by telling our stories and telling stories through a journalistic framework, which means that it's grounded in reality and fact, and it's driven by the voices and perspectives of trans people. And so we do that in so many ways through the podcast that you mentioned, through documentary, through writing, through events, through 
any way that we can reach people. And I think that that's essential to beating back these bills. You know, I spent a lot of last year talking to trans and gender nonconforming and non-binary people running for political office last year. And so many ended up winning. And one of the key reasons why is because they were able to tell their stories to their neighbors, their neighbors heard them and elected them, even if they don't know much about trans people um, or people who are gender nonconforming and non-binary. So to the extent that we can do that, we can make these bills a thing of the past. And that's why we have to step up our abilities to be able to do that. And that's why Chase Strangio and so many other people finding these bills on a legal front are also really intent on telling trans stories. Chris, can you start off by telling us a little bit about the work that you're doing? I mean, you've been working on the issue of sports and inclusion for quite some time. Yeah. In addition to being an athlete, my passion work is in policy and in making sure that every athlete has the opportunity to participate in sports and get the benefits out of it, you know, similar to those that I've had, the opportunities that I have had. So in addition to you know my training for Team USA, I'm also the founder of transathlete.com, where I track these bills and other policies that are for inclusion of transgender and non-binary people in sports. So from K through 12 level, through the professional ranks and national governing bodies, collegiate policies, all of those are on my website. And you know, just in the last two years, we've seen so many of these anti-trans sports bills pop up. As of this recording, we're at 17 states that are attempting to ban people like me from sports, and actually more specifically, ban trans women and girls from participating in sports. And so my job, you know, the work that I'm doing right now is really to work with organizations on the ground in those states to try to help amplify their voices and provide guidance on how we can, as, as Amara said, beat back these bills. As a journalist who's been covering LGBTQ issues now for almost a decade, it's been interesting to see how anti-trans discrimination and legislation has kind of moved from one sphere to the next. And I've been really struck by how this issue has pervaded sports now, Um, even to the point where I think it was former Georgia Senator Kelly Loeffler introduced her own bill in Congress that uh, didn't even seem to get that much attention this past fall. To catch our listeners up to speed, why do you think we're seeing so many of these bills specifically related to sports now? I think that sport is really just the entry point for discriminating against us in other assets of life, other other facets of life. Really what's happening in a lot of these states is that multiple bills are being thrown up that would discriminate against the LGBTQ plus community. And folks are just looking for one to stick. And what we've seen is that people feel very passionately about sports. And with this framing that the other side has sort of been able to do in terms of creating this narrative, shaping this narrative around protecting women and saving women's sports and and using that as the foundation for this argument, they've seemed to gain some traction. And so we know that there are folks working behind the scenes that a lot of these bills have the same exact text to them. And so there's a, a large scale effort to try to get this to pass in as many states as possible. And it really is just the entry point into further discrimination. Targeting kids is just a really despicable way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think Essentially, it is because it focuses on children. They know that they're having a really hard time making the case against trans adults and the limiting of our rights and our place in society through the argument around marginalizing trans adults. It's becoming increasingly hard for them to do. But they do know that people are very attuned to the idea that children are impressionable. 
and that they want to protect their children. And they are keying in on this idea, participation in trans people in sports is fundamentally unfair and puts your child at a disadvantage. And so it's capturing on this idea of trans people as a threat, but in a really subtle and sophisticated way by focusing it on children and not making the entire case about schools or access to schools or any of those other sorts of things. It's in these very particular areas of this idea of one-on-one competition, right, with a trans person. And that this one-on-one competition puts your child at a disadvantage and you wouldn't want to do that as a parent. The other area, of course, the same is true with the bills that focus on teen access to healthcare, trans teens access to healthcare. Again, this idea of letting impressionable, in quotes, these are all in quotes, young people and teens be allowed them to make these choices for themselves when, quote, they don't know their own minds, close quote, that you're being irresponsible as a parent. So in all these bills, they're targeting this idea of children, this idea of vulnerability, this idea of possible disadvantage or cruelty by allowing trans people equality in these areas. And I think that that's why they decided to target them. You know, we've seen so much misinformation about this. One of the arguments I'm always struck by is this myth of dominance in sports, right? We keep seeing this argument that if trans athletes, and in particular, if trans women are allowed into sports, they will dominate the sports. And so then they're posed as a threat to cis women, even though this is not something that is happening. And one of the things I've also been so struck by as an athlete myself, I play women's roller derby, which is a very inclusive sport. And basically our POV is like, if you feel like this is the right team for you, please come join us. So I feel a great personal stake in the fact that I think women's sports should be inclusive for all folks. One of the things that is is so striking to me is seeing this idea of protecting women. I mean, we're actually not talking about any issues that relate to women's sports. We're not actually talking about the lack of media for women's sports, the, the lack of funding for women's sports. We're not talking about all of these other issues, Amara, that you kind of mentioned too, just with access to education. So I guess I was wondering, what is some of the most troubling misinformation that you're seeing being peddled when it comes to sports and in particular related to trans women and trans girls? I think for me, again, Chris will be able to speak to these issues better than I, but for me, the most troubling idea, because first of all, these are zeroing on trans women specifically right? Not really targeting trans men, they're targeting trans women. And I think what they're trying to do is to undermine the idea that trans women are women. That essentially what's happening, what they're saying is that your girl is competing against this person who's biologically male. I mean, all this language is loaded and we could spend a lot of time unpacking it. This idea of being in direct competition, of sharing space, all of the rest of it, I think is very evocative of fear and plays on the worst of transphobia. And that's what they're doing. And I think that for me, the biggest misconception is biology is destiny when it comes to sports. In every single way, we know that's not true. All of the people who play tennis across the country, I guarantee you, if the men at all the tennis clubs across the United States, 95% of them would be beaten by Serena Williams without her breaking a sweat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. This idea that somehow biology is destiny in sports is ridiculous. Even in the Connecticut case, this case, race is also a part of it. But these two white women who are cis sued uh, black trans women who are competing on their teams, saying that they couldn't compete against these black trans women. Those cis women ended up winning a race against them. So I think that we have to unpack this idea again that biology is destiny when it comes to sports. 
It's totally ridiculous. In this case of Judy Chand, who is this person, an Olympian, who is a woman, but had to undergo gender testing in the Olympics because the Olympics make women undergo gender testing, right? To prove that they can compete. Men in the Olympics don't have to undergo gender testing, but women do. The person who developed the test in the 1960s for the Olympics has been telling people over the last four years that they should stop using that test because modern science tells that there's no absolute surefire way to tell biologically a difference between men and women. So even these misconceptions, we're dealing with myths and they are limiting our ability to be humane to each other. When you do start policing bodies like this, then actually it creates a ceiling for athletic performance in the category across all women's athletics, right? Like it says that anybody who is performing at a certain level then is suspect if they're too fast, too strong, et cetera. Chris, one thing I was thinking about is that, you know, you are an athlete, you compete against other athletes. What has have these attitudes been like in competition? I mean, Amara was talking about this idea of creating this sense of kind of one-on-one competition, one-on-one threats. Has that played out in it for you in competitions? Yeah, I think it's a very important to note, you know, I identify as a trans man and my experience has been in men's sports now as an adult. And it's very different, the experience that I've had and that I continue to have versus any transgender woman who wants to even participate in sports, not even at an elite level, just be a part of a team. And so I have sort of benefited from the sexism that is so entrenched in in Mm. athletics because people don't think that I will be a threat because I've been assigned female at birth because I'm competing with men. And so, you know, to your point, there is a limit of people's perceptions of how athletic people can be. And that I've found that my teammates, my competitors have largely accepted me in athletics. It's been not a problem at all. And I know that there are transgender athletes participating across the country and around the globe without any issues. The issues aren't on our teams necessarily. They are with the coaches, with the adults, with the lawmakers who are trying to prohibit us from having experiences, prohibit us from participating with our peers and continue to other us and rule us out of the institution of sports, which is so incredibly gendered. It makes it you know, extremely complicated, but there are so many factors that play in there. And race is also another one that has played into my experience. Definitely worth noting, I'm a white trans man. And you know the experiences that we've seen in the media, villainized and demonized, have been further policing of black and brown trans women. I've reported on a lot of the different regulations across different sports governing bodies before. And one of the things that we've talked about a little bit is that frequently they want to cite really hard and fast data around athletic performance and around biology. And oftentimes it's very cherry picked. How have you seen the science get cherry picked? It's incredibly problematic, particularly now as we're talking about so much of the focus is in youth sports. And so we're talking about high school and collegiate athletes. But folks are using data from the most elite of the elite of the Olympic champions to try to compare performances. But it's important to know that if we're talking about elite men in sports, we are not talking about trans women. And to Amaro's point, the case that folks are laying out is in attempt to negate our identities, to say that we aren't truly who we say we are, and to try to position us in a way that would not allow us to participate as our full authentic selves. But people forget that if you have a trans woman on a women's team, you still have zero men on that team. And so by using certain language, by choosing certain studies and comparisons of studies that aren't necessarily related, so choosing testosterone levels from saliva versus 
from blood or from non-athletes and trying to apply them to athletes. You know, there's just a variety of ways that folks have tried to mix and match studies together to get the results that they're looking for. When the truth of the matter is we lack a lot of data and understanding about transgender athletes in sport. There haven't been studies that follow our performances. Uh, There haven't been good studies that follow our performances. And, you know, I think that people are just looking for any sort of information that would exclude us from participation as opposed to looking for ways to talk about inclusion. And one of the things that's got me thinking about is also the ramifications beyond athletic competition as well. Amara, I mean, off the field, what do you think are some of the ramifications of these bills for trans folks across the country? To me, the way that we've seen a lot of these bills weaponized, they would seem to lead to more violence and policing against trans folks. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're designed to do that and to undermine the idea and the reality that we're actually people and that we actually are who we say that we are, that trans women are women, trans men are men. You know, that's what it's designed to undermine the idea of. And so you can get a foot hold here, they can expand from that particular point to include more and more activities that are police. So this is the thin end of the wedge that they're trying to do this. I mean, I also think that we have to realize, though, that in so many ways, what happens is that this always ends up being a tool of patriarchy. It will end up impacting the role and the ability of women more than men. We know that, for example, from the bathroom bills, one of the reasons why they stalled in places like North Carolina is that more and more cis women began to join the fight against Against these bills because they were being policed in bathrooms. That cis women would look at other cis women and say, you don't belong here. You are not really a woman because the reality of womanhood is so large and the idea of womanhood is so narrow that most people in terms of stereotypes fall outside of that. And so anything that falls outside of that narrow band gets policed. And we need to be very careful about that. These laws are not what they purport to be. They are a Trojan horse for a whole host of other draconian measures and ideas that the people who back them have, and we shouldn't kid ourselves about that. We often see these bills in sports attached to the healthcare bills that would prevent trans young people from getting the gender-affirming and medically necessary approved care that they require. We also see them paired with uh, gender marker or ID bills that would prevent trans people from having IDs that match their identities. And we know that that keeps us out of public spaces. We know that that has long-lasting impacts. So you know, supporting this idea that they're all combined together, all of this is interwoven. You know, this is sport is the access point, but certainly lawmakers are looking for any way to attack our community. And it goes just beyond kids as well. So this is a very dangerous moment in time with the bills that are being introduced. <laughs> worry about the lack of information people have. This is in my own reporting and covering this topic. One thing when I talk to social science experts is they always talk about how a lot of the research on athletic performance is really in its nascent stages as well. A lot of people just don't understand people who are, you know, maybe at the beginning of their journey learning about gender identity. It also seems like a lot of the disinformation can kind of fill in these gaps for people so that then the public 
in the absence of having good information, these ideas, I guess, are more seductive to them or more convincing to them. So one thing I worry is that maybe where some of the bathroom bills, there was a real clear cut stand that people wanted to take because they were being impacted when they were trying to use the restroom. One of the things I worry about is maybe the public will buy into some of the pseudoscience and buy into some of the misinformation in a way that they hadn't before just because of, you know, not being as informed about particular issues around sport and gender and how complicated athletic performance is. I wonder what you both think about that. There's certainly a lot of nuance that needs to be considered when telling these stories and when talking about gender and sports. And I think that that is largely absent online. You know, we live in a clickbait culture. We live in a society that will use Twitter headlines as their full news source. And so what we've seen is that anti-trans folks have created an incredible narrative around their storytelling, particular to sports, but also in any other anti-trans healthcare, any sort of information that they're putting out there that they can pretend it is science or make a very compelling argument that's just factually inaccurate. And so, you know, what that does is it leaves us in a position to dispute what they've said, to be on the defensive and explain. But we also know that in our culture, people don't take time to read the apologies, to read the information, to dig down further into a topic. And so I think we're at a really challenging point where the anti-trans narrative has been dominant in the media for so long that it seems like a real uphill battle for us, which is why accurate storytelling, why the storytelling that Amara does is so incredibly important because we need to be able to dig down into things a little bit more to explain a little more because a lot of our storytelling is actually also a one-on-one for folks. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that gets lost is complexity and the ability for us to be humans. I think that we have had really important breakouts, it should be said, around storytelling through mainstream entertainment sources. Of course, there's Pose, but then so many others, Legendary on HBO Max, there's some others that are breaking out. And people have bonded with those stars, you know, Laverne Cox and um, India Moore and so many others. And then that's been a really important part of what is happening and is a backdrop for us making progress. I think where we have to continue to tell more stories is people who are in your neighborhoods, from your mom's hometown, from places that are unexpected, that trans people exist, where we are a part of communities, where we are helping those communities thrive, and where we are essential. And I think that that is a massive underrepresentation of our storytelling. And we need more of everything. You know, when people ask us about trade-offs, well, what would you do first? And I was like, there is no first. There, mm. We're so marginalized that it literally is everything at the same time now. And that's the only way. We cannot pick and choose. So, you know, do I want more shows on television about trans people? Yes. Do I want more movies? Yes. Do I want more news programs? Yes. Do I want more documentaries? Yes. And the list goes on and on because there is this dearth and there is this gap that we are trying to close and that we have to close if we're going to reach full equality. And so we just need more of everything. We are all just sitting here nodding along. Uh, I know our, our listeners can only hear us, but we are all nodding, nodding very much. Well, kind of in closing, Chris, you know, you have been on the front line as an athlete working on trans inclusion. I wonder in the time since you first became visible as a trans athlete yourself, how have you seen the conversation around trans inclusion evolve? Where do you want to see it evolve to? I saw a lot of progress in the early days of having my website up until 2016. And then something very important happened. And we had a different presidential administration that 
targeted trans folks very directly on multiple issues. And it was with that sort of narrative that I started to see more resistance to inclusion in sports. While states across the country have had inclusive policies, have had trans athletes participating without issue for years, we started to see this narrative that somehow we were a threat. And so we're at this point now where we are trying to get back out of that narrative of trying to fight against the stereotypes, myths, and misconceptions that have been implanted in people's minds over the last several years. I would love to see every young person have the opportunity to participate in sports just like I did and have a great experience, play with their peers, learn things about themselves, and just be able to do the things that they love without having to compromise their own identities. And I think I would also love for us to move away from having this be a public issue of debate. Last year when Idaho HB 500 was on the table, I went to Boise to the Capitol and met with young trans athletes. I met with parents and I met with lawmakers. It was just so heartbreaking to see lawmakers listen to trans kids tell their story, share their humanity, and then to have those lawmakers misgender them right in front of their face or to say that they don't belong in sports, that they don't deserve to have the experiences that their peers have. I think that there's a lot of damage that's being done, whether these bills become law or not. There's a great deal of damage being done to trans kids and to our community as a whole and the way that people will treat us in the future just by having these conversations. And so I think we're starting the process of you know, that increased visibility, that shared resistance and fight, getting other groups of allies to stand with us and move forward with us to be accomplices in this work. And, you know, my goal is that we'll get to a point where we have friendly administration, where we start to elect state and local lawmakers who are not trying to prioritize discriminating against us, but, you know, we're moving more towards that full equality. Amara, just finally, how would you like to see folks respond to these bills and other efforts to further marginalize trans people? Call your representative and tell them to not pass them. It's really, that's it. You know, be mindful of the people who decided to vote for them. I think that's pretty much it. People are doing these bills because they think that they are popular and that they can get away with them. And if they feel like they aren't popular and they can't get away with them, then they won't. And these bills will stop. You know, we're seeing so many because they are seen as a cheap shot on people who are politically marginalized. And so the extent to which people who are invested in full equality make their voices heard on this is the degree to which we can keep all these bills to a minimum and try to put them all in a graveyard. Well, I think that this is the perfect note to end it on. And I could easily keep on talking about this topic. I mean, I feel like there are so many different aspects to it to unpack, but we can leave it there. Thank you both so much for joining me. And where can our listeners find you? You can find me at my name, Amara Jones, um, on all of the social medias. And then Translash can be followed at Translash Media, also on all the social medias. And I'm at the Chris Mosier on all of the social medias and I'm online and also transathlete.com. Each week after we talk about a serious subject, I want to give you some happy news about something related to LGBTQ issues. TJ Osborne, one part of the country duo Brothers Osborne, has come out as gay. In an interview with Time, he said that, quote, I'm very comfortable being gay. I find myself being guarded for not wanting to talk about something that I personally don't have a problem with. That feels so strange. The Brothers Osborne have been nominated for seven Grammys and won four Country Music Association awards in the past five years. And of course, country music is an industry that can be conservative, sex 
sexist and unwelcoming of LGBTQ people. So this is a big deal. TJ is in pretty great company. If we're talking about queer people in country, I have to mention Lil Nas X, who made history in country as the first out gay Black person to win a CMA award in 2019, Brandi Carlisle, and Shelly Wright, who all risked their careers to come out. TJ now joins these artists who are making LGBTQ people more visible in country and showing young people that we exist and are valid in every facet of pop culture. Please make sure you support the LGBTQ Nation podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, please. And check out LGBTQ Nation every day at www.lgbtqnation.com. LGBTQ Nation has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. LGBTQ Nation is hosted by Alex Berg, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered by Katrina Henning, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Scott Gatz, John Halbeck, Phil Browning, and Melissa D. Motz. Forever!